Okay, good morning, everyone. We want to thank our sponsor this morning, Asher Menser, who is sponsored in honor of his wife, Shira's birthday. Happy birthday, Shira. Is today your birthday? Shabbos was a very happy birthday to you. Hashem should bless you with all the brachas in the world. Good health, happiness, shalom bayis, nachas, yerushamayim, parnasa, and all things good. Okay. I printed out an um, excerpt we'll learn together. When I say learn together, I mean literally learn together because I haven't really had a chance to go through it yet. It comes from Rav Melech Biederman. Rav Melech Biederman is a Hasidish Rav, a Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael today. He uh, produces phenomenal, phenomenal Divrei Torah. He has beautiful Sfarim and uh, puts out a weekly newsletter um, in Hebrew and in English, I think in Yiddish as well. Um, and it's really, really excellent, very inspiring. So here he has on our parsha Bamidbar and Shavuos, and he begins by talking about Amuna. So I thought it's really apropos for our group today. Right, Shavuos is all about the Yantav of Kabbalah Sator of Matan Torah. It's the holiday, in just a few days from now. I'm on page Aleph. Turn, turn the book over. It's uh, the staples on the le- on the top left. So, um, Shavuos is the day of Kabbalah Satorah. Shavuos, we re- receive the Torah anew. And it's not that we're commemorating. This is true about all holidays. We've discussed this in the past. That the Jewish notion of time is not linear. It's not that we're progressing forward as if the past is the past. The Jewish view of time is cyclical. So we're revisiting the same energies, the same points in time. We experience the holiday of Shavuos not to commemorate that the Torah was received so many years ago, but rather to re-experience Kabbalah Satorah, to once again receive the Torah as if it is anew, as if we're getting it for the very first time. Hashem has shown us to know. The truth is, says of Melech, that really every moment of every day is an appropriate time to study, to think about, to work on our sense of Amunab, trust in Hashem. Having a moon is not a time-bound mitzvah. Meaning, you don't think about Lulav and Esrog in May. You don't think about the shofar in August. Maybe you start to think about it if you're the shofar, if you're the shofar blower. But you don't think about the Hanukkah candles in July. They're mitzvah Each of those is a distinct mitzvah that is allocated, designated a certain amount of time. But a bitachon, the mitzvah, to live with and cling to and feel the presence of Hashem in every moment is... Um, it's something which is not time bound. It's supposed to permeate and inform and inspire every moment of every day. But in this moment in particular, as we are preparing and counting down towards receiving the Torah, it is an especially appropriate time to emphasize and think about these qualities. Because what was the moment of HaKabal Satorah if not joining together as a people with a deep sense of unity and purpose and saying, Hashem Hu Elokim. Hashem is our God. We are here to serve Him. He informs and inspires and instructs how to live our lives. Hu Adon HaKol, He's the master of all. Everything that happens, it's by Him. There are no coincidences, there's no chance, there's no accidents. Ve'en Yechidus Kamo. And there's no one as singular, as exclusive, as special, as he. <coughs> I just came back, I went to Israel for, for one night. And uh, so I flew on Motei Shabbos. I'm not looking for sympathy, I'm not a martyr, but I'll just tell you, tell you how this class is helping me. So I flew on Motei Shabbos, and 
you know, it's always tough to take a Motzei Shabbos flight and through the night and to Israel. So um, I tried to arrange to get a whole row. I knew that I knew that our flight wasn't full, so I thought maybe I could get a whole row and then I could I can lie down and sleep. So um, I thought I had it. When I checked in, I said, "Is that row still empty?" Yeah, it's good. What are the chances it'll stay that way? Well, you're one of the last people to check in, so. It's an excellent chance to get on the plane, and you know, you're watching everyone come down the aisles, and everyone's sitting next to you, and um, they close the door, everyone's seated, you know, I'm in good shape, right? Pull back from the gate, I'm golden, I'm good, I'm going to get a good schliff on this flight, right? Literally, as we're about to like, rev the engine and go down the runway, the stewardess brings this couple and says... They'd like to sit together. These are the only two seats next to each other, so we're putting them right here next to you. Aww. I was like, ugh. <laughs> I don't tell you the whole story. And again, I'm not a martyr. I got to go to Israel. I have no complaints whatsoever. But the guy not only took up his seat, he took up half of mine. He slept in a coma, so while he leaned on me the whole flight, I kept elbowing him, and he did not budge. I was going to take his pulse at one point to see if he was alive. The person in front of me moved their chair so far back, I couldn't open the tray table, so I didn't have, I didn't have either meal. And all I kept thinking the whole time, as like my blood pressure's going up, and I'm fuming, and I'm so angry at this couple, and I'm angry at the stewardess, and I'm angry at the world. I had this whole plan, I was going to lie in these three seats and sleep the whole way. I said, I'm giving this class on Amuna, And we talk about it every week. It wasn't meant to be. Hashem, Hashem didn't want it to be. This is the way Hashem designed and meant for me to fly. And look, I survived. And it was amazing. And whatever. So I'm only sharing it because you could be teaching the class and you're still vulnerable to forget what's in the class. Um, and that's why it requires an extra level of mindfulness. It's not a mitzvah shazman grama. Every second of every day, of every experience, we have to interpret through the prism of this is the way it was meant to be. So in fact, I still, when the students first came over, I was like, come on, really? I wanted to sleep and there's nowhere else. And, and then I realized, what, why did I, put, these were, I didn't pay for three seats. I paid for one. And what am I t-? So I, I looked at her and I said, you know what? This is how Hashem wants it. This is that last story? So she had a big smile. So you realize, well, you can only not only affect yourself, but you can affect other people too. That if you're able to interpret life through the prism of Amunah Bitachon, that this is the way it's meant to be, for whatever reason, this is Hashem. This, again, I, I, this is a minor, insignificant, inconsequential, stupid, irrelevant. There are people going through enormously hard, unimaginable challenges. But if we're able to get to that level ourselves, and then exude that energy, we can influence others too. So that steward smiled. Maybe she went home and she told a story about this guy who messed up his whole flight and put people next to him. And he said, it was from Hashem. You, you never know. You absolutely never know in life. And that's what today is. I posted on the WhatsApp group earlier this morning. Today on the Jewish calendar is Yom HaMiyuchas. We didn't say Tachan in the Shul this morning. Yesterday was Rosh Chodesh. Tomorrow begins the Shlosh Hashem HaGbalah, the three days of counting towards Shavuos. What is special about today? Why is it called Yom HaMiyuchas? Anyone know? Oh. What's special about today really, in a certain sense, is nothing. Am Segula, yes, we make textual connection. But the Yom HaMiyuchas, the specialness of the Yom HaMiyuchas is that it has Rosh Chodesh before it, and Shlosh Hashem after it, and by being surrounded by positive energy, by being surrounded with spiritual elevation transcendence, it lifts today too. We use that word yichas to describe lineage or, or heritage or our background. If you're worrying about shidduch resumes, you're filling out your yichas, and you know, who can you mention from five centuries ago that you related to? <laughs> Tell me what's your brother up to and your sister up to, and who was your great, 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 great grandfather? Because that's going to, you know, that's what we talk about yichas. But the word yichas really means a connection or a bond. Today, Yom HaMiyuchas, the special quality of Yom HaMiyuchas, is only that it's connected to yesterday and tomorrow. 
And by surrounding itself with yesterday and tomorrow, which are significant days, Rosh Chodesh yesterday, and the three days of preparation that begin tomorrow, it lifts today. So you see the idea of with whom we surround ourselves, the energy of how we surround ourselves and who we're with has an enormous impact on us, the kind of neighbor, the kind of neighbor that we make. In fact, in this parsha of Amidbar, you have the beginning of the um, designations for the camping assignments. And there were great consequences to those camping assignments because the greatest casualties from Korach's rebellion did not come from the tribe of Levi, which is where Korach was from, but came from the tribe of, you got it, Ruvain. Ruvain was camped right next to Levi. So if Nevenzal asks, if you're Ruvain, you get upstairs and you say to Hashem, why did I suffer so many casualties from my tribe? You're the one who assigned the camping. You told me to buy the apartment right next door to Korach. And now Korach brought down my whole family in his rebellion? Where were you to protect me? Nevenzal has an incredible insight. He says, the power of a neighbor, the power of your friends, of your circle, the power of, of influence is so strong, even when you feel that God placed you where you are, you can never let your guard down. Even if you say, Hashem put me in this job, Hashem put me in this neighborhood, Hashem put me in this house, Hashem put me in this chair next to that person at work or in shul, even if you feel that you've been designedly assigned that seat, you can't therefore relax and say, so everything that will come out of it will be good. You have to realize that the power, the impact of our neighbors is so strong that it can have this influence. That's why the Mishnah Nevo says, it says, what does it say? Harchek mishachin ra. I forget exactly the Lashon there. But it talks about, it doesn't say something from a Russia. Al-Tidbak, al-Tidchaber la-Russia. Thank you. Al-Tidchaber la-Russia, harchek mishachin ra. When it comes to a Russia, it just says, don't attach yourself to the Russia. But when it comes to the bad neighbor, it says, get away. I would have thought the rush of the wicked, evil, nefarious, low-life, icevarf person is more dangerous. I would think that that's the person I just, that I should run away from. I just don't attach to the bad neighbor. So Renan says, no, you know why a bad neighbor is more dangerous than a wicked person? Because the bad neighbor is not a bad person. They're a good person. They just like to speak a lot of Lush and Hara. They're a good person. They're just envious and jealous. They're a good person. They're just ostentatious and always competing about material possessions and goods. They're not a bad person. They could be a good person, but a really bad neighbor in that they're not making you the best version of yourself. So that's why the Mishnah says, when it comes to the Russia, just don't, don't attach yourself. But when it comes to the bad neighbor, run away. Get away. So the Yom HaMiyuchas is the neighbor to Rosh Chodesh and to Shlosh And because it's surrounded by such good neighbors, then it's elevated. Whereas when people are surrounded, Reuven was surrounded by a bad neighbor, and Reuven suffered the most casualties as a result. So you see that we have the ability to not only lift ourselves, but lift others. And we have the ability to, if we're surrounded with the wrong people, to be brought by, down by them as well. It's such an important message, because we, are, we have neighbors, and we're surrounded by people in, in greater ways than ever. Thanks to social media and the internet, we're not just connected to the people that we're physically present with. But we're connected with every text and Facebook and, and WhatsApp and, and email, every, every group that we're part of, every chain that we're part of, every, every connection that we have is essentially a neighbor that could either be lifting us or could be bringing us down. And I think it's a very simple measure or metric to evaluate. The real question is, is this person helping me become the best version of myself or a worse version of myself? Am I better when I'm around them or am I worse? Do I like myself more? Or am I embarrassed and am I ashamed when I take leave of them? And that's the measure to determine 
whether we should be around. Anyway, that's Yom HaMiyuchas. So there's no, there's no uh, Mitzvah Sheshman Grama when to talk about Amun Bitachon. We talk about it all the time. But also, Maimed Gadol Venorah, Maimed Harsinai Rov, Yikiru Kol Bnei Yisrael Yachto, Shashem Elohim. Sorry, we just read that. Kamosh Nehmer, as the Pasuk says, Atah Haretz Ladas, Ki Hashem Hu Elohim, Ein Od Milvados. The Pasuk says, You have been shown to know that God is our God. Ein Od Milvado. We spoke of many times. The schooler from the Nefesh HaChayim, Rechaim Velazhner, that when you're in a bad moment, if you've been assigned a bad seat, literally, figuratively, in life, Ein od milvado, ein od milvado, just keep saying ein od milvado, the briskarov, and the Holocaust credited his survival with ein od milvado, repeating over and over again, ein od milvado. If you're waiting, God forbid, for a result of a test, or you're having a challenging time, or you have to overcome an enormous hurdle, ein od milvado, there is nothing but him. You got that beautiful artwork to remind us in our house. Ein od milvado, ein od milvado. But notice in this Pasuk in Dvarim, Ata hares ladas. Pesach Svarid says it when take out the Torah. Ata hares ladas. Ki Hashem hu elokim. What does the pasuk not say? When it talks about our connection, our relationship, our awareness of Hashem, what does it say? Ata hares la das. What does the word das mean? To know. To know. What does it not say? You have been shown to believe. It doesn't say you've been shown to believe. It says you've been shown to know. What's the difference between knowledge and belief? One requires yourself to believe. Belief requires, or faith requires, we describe it as taking a A leap of faith. Faith is illogical. Faith is irrational. Faith is not backed up with evidence that supports it. Faith is a leap. Why Why do you believe that? Because I wish it. Because I want it. Because I want to believe it. I have faith. I have faith. Do you have any evidence to support it? No, but I want to believe the best in that person. I want to believe they're not capable of that, or I want to believe that it was them who did that. I have faith. Jeffrey Dahmer's mother sat, I'm sure, in the, in the, in the pews of the courtroom, or Charles Manson, or whatever other horrifically heinous person, and said, I have faith he's innocent, my son. What faith? Based on what? you have evidence? No, I'm his mother, and so I want to have faith. Faith requires a leap. What is knowledge? Knowledge is exactly the opposite. Knowledge is a preponderance of evidence. Knowledge is, I've tested the hypothesis, I've tested the theory, I've gathered evidence, and I have a preponderance, I have overwhelming evidence to have reached a conclusion, to produce this thesis, to have this knowledge. Why do I believe E equals MC squared? Or why do I believe in gravity? Or why do I believe in... Not believe in, those are the wrong words. Why do I know that there's a thing called gravity? Why do I know chemistry, physics, biology? Why do I know the conclusions we've come to? Because we've had a theory, a hypothesis, it was tested, there was evidence to support it, and therefore we have knowledge of it. So when the Torah now comes and says, your awareness of Hashem, is that the result of faith? Or is that the result of knowledge? The Torah says, Ata haresa ladas. You've been shown, and ladas. doesn't say you've been shown so that you could take a leap of faith. You can, you've been shown so you can believe. It says you've been shown so that you can know. We also say it in Aleinu every day. Viadata hayom Viadata. When the Torah talks about God, the Torah never asks us to take a leap of faith. Never asks us to take a leap of faith. The Torah believes, the Torah asserts, and we're not going to do it now, but the Torah asserts that if you examine the evidence objectively, then you will see there's a preponderance of evidence that supports the notion that God exists and that He runs the world. And that God is not asking you to take a leap of faith to believe that, 
All he's asking you to do is examine the evidence and it's the conclusion you will come to. There are several pieces of evidence which we're not going to go through now, but I want to share with you that you know, the biggest obstacle to people examining the evidence, because they'll say, if that's, so, if that's so true, why don't people just examine, why aren't there more people who have knowledge of God? Scientists especially, who excel at examining evidence and drawing conclusions. And the answer is, because the process of the journey of examining the evidence has to begin with objectivity. It has to begin with honestly examining the evidence. If you've reached your conclusion before you do the testing, then you're not, the testing is only going to support the conclusion you already reached in advance. In order to arrive at an honest and objective conclusion, you have to be able to be objective with a clean slate before you examine the evidence. So remind me another time we could talk about some of those pieces of evidence, but I want to draw your attention because I think it's really important because there's a lot of people who don't believe in God because they say there's no evidence or I can't take that leap of faith or why should I take that leap of faith? And it's critical to know that God and His Torah are not asking us to take a leap of faith. All they're asking us to do is, and that's why in Judaism studying Torah is so important because studying Torah is a process of essentially examining and re-examining the evidence. I think I was ambitious that I printed how many eight pages? Going to be here till Shavuos. When Hashem gave us the Torah, He opened seven heavens. He opened up the heavens, he gave us access to see him, and that's how we can know. He didn't rip them open for no reason, but to teach us. Why did he take such extraordinary measures? Why did he suspend the rules of nature? At Harsinai, God spoke to us directly. At least the first two Dibros. And how do I know that there's a God? How do I know that Harsinai took place? How do I know it took place? I once asked the great um, Dr. Sarna, who was in our community, Sukron Lavracha, great uh, biblical scholar. I said, were there any contemporaneous societies to the Jews of Harsinai who said, we know the Jews are asserting that they experienced this moment of revelation in the wilderness, we challenge it. It never happened, they made it up, they were high, they were drunk, they were lost, impossible. Right, because wouldn't you think that if someone today would print a report that we were in the, we were in the desert, my whole family, and all of a sudden, the sky opened, there was thunder and lightning, and God spoke to us. You'd think someone would write an op-ed, an article, somewhere, something, saying these people are out of their minds. So, two to three million people all gathered. Right? I'm not going to, I don't want to spend the time right now, but one of the pieces of evidence is how history is made. How do you know the French Revolution took place? There's no one alive today who was, so, was a witness to the French Revolution. How do you know the Civil War took place? How do you know the Inquisition, the Crusades, go back to antiquity? How do you know that it happened? Because you read it in a book? Well, today, I have the ability to write any book and write anything in it and print it with a beautiful hard copy and beautiful approbations in the beginning. And, and so, because it appears in a book, how do you know about anything in history that it's true? How do you know the veracity or truth about anything you read in history? Ever think about that? How is history made? How do we validate? How do we know the truth of any history? Well, just to put it then succinctly, the same way that we know the truth of any history, that same burden of proof to know that history in fact happened that way, we have to tell us that Harsinai happened the way it happened. Two to three million people who told their children, and we have direct transmission to where we are today. My parent, I don't believe, the Rambam writes this explicitly, I don't believe that God spoke to us at Harsinai because it says so in the Torah. That's not why I believe it. You could print a book that says anything today. Why do I believe it? 
Because my parents told me. And they heard it from their parents who heard it from their parents who heard it from their parents who were there. Not that my parents are so old. I'm saving some time. Going all the way back, right? So I believe it because I had the incredible privilege to be at the embassy opening. So I tell my children about it. They're going to tell their children about it. They'll tell their children about it. And they'll, the story that they'll tell, that let's say he wasn't on the camera and you couldn't see, and it's just something I'm telling them, a conversation I had or something I noticed, an observation I had, they'll believe it, not because I wrote it in my blog, not because, because they heard it from me. And that will be true for my great-great-grandchildren too. That story will carry on. That's how we know. The stories we have in our family about the family and the, what happened in the Holocaust, it's not because we necessarily heard it. Maybe we didn't overlap with that member of our family, but it's in our family. And the same is true with the smak says, which is the first mitzvah? We have a tradition of 613 mitzvahs in the Torah, the code on every Jewish piece of luggage. How do we know? <laughs> what is the very first mitzvah of the 613? That's the first mitzvah, the way it appears chronologically given to us in the Torah. What's the first mitzvah, the way that they present the laws, the 613, the smak? The first mitzvah he counts is to believe in Hashem. To know that the one who created the heavens and the earth, he alone rules the heaven and the earth. As it says, in the heaven above and in the earth mitachas. So on the bus on the way to the embassy, somebody told me the following beautiful Dvar Torah. It wasn't one of the evangelicals. They had the most beautiful Dvar Torah. But this, was a, this, was, this was actually a Jew. So he said, it comes from my Mashkiach and Karen Biyavna also Rabbi Rivlin. Why does the Pasuk say al ha'aretz hashamayim ma'al? We say it every day, Elena, we sing it. Bashamayim mima'al, he's our God in the heavens mima'al, above, and Allah aratz mitachas, on the earth below. Isn't it redundant? Obviously the heavens above and the earth is below. We, we know, we get it. We walk on the earth, below us, the heaven, look up, it's above us. I got it. So why does the Pasuk need to say both? So Rabbi Rivlin said this is such a beautiful idea. He said when it comes to shamayim, when it comes to issues of ruchnius, when it comes to spirituality, mima'al. You should always be aspired to go higher than the person next to you, to grow more, to advance, to progress, to reach. Rabbeinu Bachia says that's why the human being walks on two legs and the animal walks on four. The animal is connected <coughs> to the earth and the human being stretches and reaches towards heaven. We are aspiring for more, to be better, to be more. But when it comes to issues of the arats, the material world, mitachas. I can have less than my neighbor and be happy. I don't need to have more than my neighbor. I'm willing to be below. So when it comes to Shemayim Mima'al, I always want more, more, more. But when it comes to the arts, when it comes to the material, physical world, mitachas, I'm happy having whatever I have. It's less than what everyone else has. It's less than what I want to have. Okay. But I'm happy to have what I want to have. I just saw also, I forgot where, the human being walks upright, the head is above the rest of the body. Because the head is what rules the body. The head is what's most important. The animal walks on four the head is exactly on the same level as the rest of the body. Because the body is controlling the head. The body is what's telling the animal what it instinctively and impulsively wants in that moment. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Hashem runs the entire world. 
he gives us the seating assignments. Uh, not bitter at all. So, nothing happens to us below. Nothing happens to us. You don't stub your toe without it being the will of Hashem. Nothing happens. It's also amazing. Because how did I, again, how did I, this is minor, insignificant, inconsequential, nothing. But for 11 and a half hours, I, I couldn't barely breathe, let alone sleep. The chair in front of me, the guy leaning next to me, Farley Weiss was on my flight. He is my witness. Mostly because he was giggling the whole time looking at me. But the... the because um, for 11 and a half hours, I just kept saying, okay, this is Hashem's will. In other words, it's not just that... It's not like a cop-out. It actually gives you the strength. Whatever... Silly, insignificant, inconsequential, stupid thing. Big things. Little things. Sometimes little things are even harder to go through than little big things. But you just have to take that deep breath and realize... I don't know why. I'm not sure I'll ever learn why. But this is the way it was meant to be for this moment. And all of a sudden you find the will and the ability to therefore endure whatever it is that you're being asked to endure. To be sovel, whatever it is you're being asked to be sovel, because you understand. You see, if I didn't believe in God, or if I believed in a God who created the world but didn't involve himself in silly things like where you're sitting on the plane, then I'd be miserable. Because I'd say, I can't believe that chance and happenstance landed me this miserable flight. Here I orchestrated things so perfectly and I would have left well enough alone and taken my first seat, which had an empty seat next to it in the end, even though it didn't have two empty seats, I would have had an empty seat. I ran. So chance and happenstance and nature, so miserable. But no, you say, you know what? This is the way it was meant to be. It's the way it was meant to be. It brought you to a Kiddush Hashem. That's also true, hopefully. Sometimes it doesn't bring you that. Last Shabbos, I needed to be near the airport to get out Saturday night, and I was doing Shabbos off that I hadn't taken, so we went away last Shabbos. So we stayed in a modest hotel room and we bought our food and we ate there. Now I tried to find out, is there a place in Miami Beach to any of these restaurants or hotels still that you could pay and eat there at night? You know, they, that's, they still have that going on in Miami Beach. But I wasn't able to find out. Then I went to go dive in a Tower 41 Friday night and afterwards I see the beautiful restaurant. People are sitting down to eat. And my whole way walking back to the hotel, I'm like so annoyed. It was so nice, dressed up, no kids, go have a beautiful Shabbos dinner. And then again, I said to myself, you're an idiot. You give the Shira Namuna every week and you talk about <laughs> that everything happens for a reason. So I came back, I told you. I said, okay, we were meant to eat the food in the room. And you know, it was beautiful, it was fine, it was amazing. It was great, it was perfect. And it was by definition perfect. You have to understand that it makes your whole life, you don't live with FOMO. Everything is by definition perfect. Everything is by definition perfect because that's the way it was meant to be. Because if it was meant to be differently, it would have happened differently. And if it happened that way, it's because that's the way it was meant to be. So stop having FOMO. I wonder what the food was like in the restaurant. What was the ambience like? Who would we have met? What would it have been like? I wish we were there. You drop it and you move on. And what gives you the ability to drop it and move on? Because you say it wasn't meant to be. And how do you so confident it wasn't meant to be? Because you have a munan bitachon. Because if you live life with Einod Milvado and you realize that whatever's happening is by design and the way it was meant, I could give you 10 more ridiculously <laughs> stupid, silly examples over the last, over the last two days. Right, you put your shadows and it wasn't meant to be. And it wasn't meant to be. Look at footnote Aleph. Kasava Rush. Shalachin Pasach Anoch Yashamakecha Shotisicha Meeres Mitzrayim. And this is according to the Rush. Rabbi Dalevi in his Kuzari writes the same thing. This is the Rush, Rabbi No Asher. That that's why when God introduces himself to us in the first of the Aseris of Dibros, he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Velo Pasach Benez Gadol Yoser. Why didn't you start with the bigger miracle? Anoch Yashamakecha Shabarasi. Shemayim va'aretz. I am the Lord your God. Who created the heaven and earth? Right. Which is more impressive, creating heaven and earth, 
Which is more impressive, creating heaven and earth? Grab a few more people. Creating heaven and earth, or taking us out of Egypt? Which is more impressive? Which is more impressive? Creating heaven and earth is ex nihilo, creating something from nothing. We can't even relate to it because we can't even conceive of it. Taking us out of Egypt was impressive. The way he took us out was super impressive, but not as impressive as creating heaven and earth. So why didn't God introduce himself with the more impressive thing? Because Hashem wanted to instill within us emuna. The fact that God created the heaven and earth, that's nice. Were any of us there? No. So it's nice God created the world, but how do I know he didn't create a world and then move on? He created a world and then he went to the next place. I don't know the author of every book I read. I've never met the painter of every painting I've seen. I can enjoy its beauty without having a relationship. So maybe God will say, you'll enjoy the beauty of the world, but you'll have no relationship if he would have said, I am the God who created the world. Instead he says, I'm the God who took you out of Egypt. Remember that story you've heard passed down in your family about your great-great-great-great-grandparents? Yeah, that was me. That was me. And now your relationship, you're going to believe, wow, you had a relationship with them, then you're going to have a relationship with me. This is what the Rush says. To believe and trust. It's not believe. Bitachon is not belief. Because remember we just said, we can know, we don't believe. So what does Levtoach mean? What does Levtoach mean? To trust. Bitachon in Israel... We just had it in last week's parsha. Vishavtem labetach. Trust. Trust. What is trust? You go up on that plane, you're trusting the pilot. He knows what he's doing. When you do something, there's trust. Betach, bitachon, there's trust. So, livtoach b'ashem b'cholev, to trust God. If I say to you, stick with me, I have your back, just trust me. But why? And I don't understand. And where are we going? And why are you insisting on doing that way? Just trust me. I'm not saying have faith in me. I'm not saying take a leap of faith in me. Who says you should risk your life by taking a leap of faith in me? I would not want, when I'm walking by the cockpit, for the pilot to say, nice to meet you. I'd like everyone to take a leap of faith in me. <laughs> I get you there. I want to say, here's my pilot's license. This is flight number six gazillion. Trust me. Just close your eyes. Look outside. Watch the moot. Just trust me. So Hashem says, I got it. I got your back. Dveikus, cling to me, stick with me, and bitachon, trust me. So livtoach b'ashem b'cholev, to trust Hashem with all your heart, l'ha'amin b'hashkech ha'soa pratis, and to believe, or to, to affirm. So belief again is a bad word. L'ha'amin, emuna, is to affirm. Amen comes from emuna. Emuna comes from amen, is to affirm. Uvizet teskayim b'levavcha ha'yichud ha'shalem. And then you'll be able to carry Hashem in your heart everywhere you go. So you won't have FOMO. You won't have the fear of missing out. When you realize that God's eyes, His vision, His surveillance, is on the whole world at the same time. We can understand this more than maybe any other generation. Because we have cameras everywhere. You've got Google Earth, and you've got the FBI, and you've got the NSC, and you've got, you've got the whole surveillance. You're on cameras, the whole shul, you're on cameras. Everywhere, everything, everything you're doing, all the time. Our cameras go skin deep. Right? So human cameras, we have surveillance. In the old city, there's a police station. The guy who runs it's a friend of uh, Shlomi Legasi. So I don't think he can anymore. He used to... Did the Hillel trip this year go? They went. Okay, so Orly can describe. That police station, it's like a zillion screens. 
and it reflects the cameras that are all over the old city. And if the guy who's giving the tour is in a good mood and he wants to show you, he'll, he'll like pick a guy out who's, who's on his cell phone. First of all, he'll show you how that camera can follow him. Or if a guy on Harabais, an Arab guy, is on his cell phone, he can zoom in the camera and you could be like reading the text message that he sent on his phone. Or his wife, or his girlfriend. Or he, or, or so, right? Like facial recognition and then face follow exactly where he went. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So the, the camera system is incredible and therefore if you're in the old city or anywhere on earth, if you don't want anyone to ever see that text, don't send it. If you don't want, if you don't want to see the picture, don't, you have to be, there's no place that's not under camera, under watch, under surveillance. But here's the thing, those cameras and that surveillance only go skin deep. Because as good as those cameras are in the old city, they can't tell you what the person's thinking. And they can't tell you what the person's feeling in their heart. But Hashem's surveillance system is deeper. He's bochen lev v'choker klayos. He can see what's in your heart and in your, in your feelings. If you don't believe Hashem Teisicha, then you don't believe Anochi Hashem Lokacha. That's the rush, Rabbeinu Asher. What he says is that in the first of the Decalogue of the Aseris Dibros, the belief Anochi Hashem Lokacha, to know that God exists, if you don't, as a conclusion of knowing He exists, also accept or affirm that he's involved in your life, then you don't really believe he exists. Because the two go together. We, is, it, is it like chatzishir? Would you say it's half a mitzvah? Let's say someone said to you, yeah, I know there's God. I don't believe he's involved in my life. I know there's God. He's, yeah, he's too big. He's got too important things. He's, he's, I don't believe in a God who cares about my stub, my toe, what seat I got on the plane. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Is that at least like a chatzishir of amuna? Is it a half amuna? Is it a half a mitzvah? Is it a partial mitzvah? Says the rush, it's zero mitzvah. Because that's not believing in God. That's not our God. That's not our God. Who's the story with Yisrael Salantar? I forget who the story is with. It's a great story. That he was talking to one of the maskilim about why they didn't believe in God. Bad things happen to good people and this and this and a God who does this and a God who does that and a God who does that. And he said to him, the God you don't, you, you don't believe in, I don't believe in him either. Was it Rabbi Yisrael Salantar? Was Rav Levi Yitzchak? I'm sure. The good stories are. <laughs> so, whoever the story is true about, he says, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in him either. So if you don't believe that God is involved intricately, intimately in our lives, then you're not believing in God. It's like saying, I believe you're my father, but I don't believe you're doing this because you love me. Well, if you don't believe that everything I'm doing is because I love you, then you, you might as well say I'm not your father. Because I'm telling you that the two go together. There are parents who are capable of being a biological parent but not loving properly. But God is not. But God is not. And that's the Russia's insight is that the two absolutely go together. Okay, I, I really thought we were going to cover so much ground here. Let's just do a little bit more. Let's skip. Because his point is that Shavuos is the holiday of celebrating the Aseris Dibros. This is the first one. And this is the one upon which everything else is based. Right? That's what he writes here. He quotes from the Rebbe Rebbe Melech of Lezhinsk. The Aser Sadibros is introduced. It says, God spoke all these things saying, Everything God has to say is included within the knowledge that he's God. The whole Torah is contingent on believing in Anochi. How many, sadly, tragically, 
How many Jews are going and living Torah every day? But they're not really there on Anochi, Yashem They're not really there on feeling God's presence, being invested in a relationship, feeling close with the Almighty, feeling His presence, feeling His love, reciprocating that love, Enod Milvada. So they are even davening and giving tzedakah and, and lighting candles and observing Shabbos and eating kosher and doing the mitzvos, but really doing the motions. And the motions are not all sourced in Anochi Hashem Lokecha. But that's the root. Kol hadvar ma'ela, lemor, Anochi Hashem Lokecha. If you're doing it all, but it doesn't begin with Anochi, if Hashem is not the center of that wheel, then, then what is it that you're doing? He says the entire purpose of Torah is to reinforce our putting our trust in Hashem. So how I tie my shoes in the morning, to how I fall asleep at night, and everything I do in between, the bracha when I go to the bathroom, and the bracha that I can walk, and the bracha that I can see, and the bracha that I have delicious food to eat, and the bracha that I thank Hashem afterwards for the food I ate, everything I do is all there to reinforce the notion all day long, every day, that I trust Hashem. I trust, I put my trust in Him. And is that so that we're sacrificing or conceding or, or giving up? No, it's not taking away from our lives. It's adding to our lives. I'm so grateful I have Amun and Bitachon, or I would have had a miserable flight. I would have had a miserable Friday night because I'd be thinking about what's that meal like in the restaurant. I'd be miserable about much bigger things. Amun and Bitachon enhances our lives. Keeps us calm. It helps us avoid anger. It gives us patience. It eliminates the FOMO. It drives a positive energy. It can be a kiddush Hashem that inspires, makes us a good neighbor, so that people around us have good yichus connection to us, and it can elevate and lift, and so on and so forth. Okay, there's a lot of amazing things here, but skip two. Skip two. Um. Skip to page hey. <coughs> page five. On the right column where it says, Mitochi Basan. See that? The Parsha Sun, in our Parsha, it says, Suus Roshko Adas Bani Israel, take a census of the Jewish people. Suus Rosh Bani Israel, Tifkudu Osam Litziv Osam. Rashi, Mitochi Basan, the fun of Mona Osam Kosha'a. Rashi quotes the Medrash that why is God counting us? Does God need to count? God can arrive at the conclusion without doing the count. He's God. He's omnipotent, He's infinite, He's perfect. He knows everything at all times. So why does God have to go through the exercise of counting? Why does He count? So Rashi quotes, you know why He counts? Because He loves us. And people count the things they love. Some people count their baseball cards. Some people, some people count their money. Some people count their children. Some people count their wardrobe or their pairs of shoes or their watches or their homes or their stock portfolio. Some people count how many Masechtas Gemara they finished or how many times they've said Tehillim or how much Chesed they've done. You want to know what you love, check what you count, what you keep count of, because that will tell you what you love. So God loves the Jewish people, and that's why, even though He doesn't need to, He counts us constantly. And it says in the Svarim, the name of the Chidusha Erim, the Ger Rebbe. Why did God count us? To make us feel that we count. That's why He counted us. He didn't need to count us. He knows exactly how many we are without counting us. Why did he count us? So that we could feel counted. There's a halachic principle that if something falls in at a ratio of 1 to 60, it's nullified. If a drop of milk falls into your challenge, 160 to 60 nullify the one. But it's a davr shebemini. If it's something that normally is purchased in a unit, 
So let's say you buy a dozen eggs. What if an egg falls in and the egg was a non-kosher egg? You could have a thousand opposite the egg. Your whole mixture is not kosher. Why? If it's something that's sold specifically as being part of a, a number, a unit, it can never be nullified. Why? Because the fact that it's sold as part of the unit means it has significance. It's never nullified. It's never insignificant. So by, by counting us, Hashem made us a Dabr Shabbat He made us something which is counted. And therefore, Enobato. None of us are invisible. None of us are inconsequential. Every one of us matter. Every one of us is relevant. The name, the rabbis, did not call this fourth book of the Torah, Bamidbar. They called the fourth book of the Torah that we're beginning this week, Sefer HaPikudim, Chumash HaPikudim, which means the book of the counting, those counted. Even though it only says twice the notion of the number of the Jewish people, because underlying a life of ambition, a meaningful life, is to believe that your life counts. If you believe your life doesn't count is when you're in trouble. This enormous growth of mental health issues that we're seeing, I've written about this, I've spoken about it ad nauseum, but so much of it has been analyzed by our psychologists and sociologists who are seeing that the mental health spike is the result of feeling invisible, inconsequential, that you don't matter, that your life doesn't count, that nothing would be different if you disappeared. And the people who feel that way fall into depression and despondency, substance abuse, self-hurt, suicidal ideation, all of this is on the rise enormously. It's affecting all families. There's a child, a relative, a friend, a neighbor, and it sources itself in that feeling of, my life doesn't count, I don't count. Which of course is highly correlated with the internet. The more you're connected online, and the more you're living the caricature of other people's lives, and you think their lives look so perfect, the less you are happy with your own life, or you feel that you, I don't have as many friends, or followers, or likes, and I don't, I'm not as popular, and I'm not as viral, so therefore my life doesn't matter, and I might as well harm myself and disappear. So Akash Baruch Hu says the opposite, because he understands that you know where it all begins. If I want you to live a meaningful life, a happy life, a pleasurable life, an a, a ambitious life, you know where it all begins? With knowing that your life counts. With knowing that you matter, that God counts us. Isa Bakliakar, the Kliakar in our Pasha says, Su is Rosh. What does the word Su mean? To lift. Afapisha Rashi Perishu Lashan Kabalas Khajbon. Rashi says Su means to calculate, to count. Mikomakum is Kirbalashan Su. Why did God use the word lift to say count? He should have said count. Kimitsara Mispar Yinatem Yinasim Biyasar Saisa Kola Amim, Masha in Laham Mispar Prati. Because we do, are not subject to some collective providence, each person receives a direct personal providence from Hashem. The Kliyakar says, it's not that just God says, today I'm going to make a good day for the Jewish people. Tomorrow I'll make a bad day for the Jewish people. Every one of us is our own world. Every one of us is our own universe. And God makes each one of us count individually, by ourselves. By counting, you elevate. You make someone count. Think about it in the form of a name. I mean, he's going to get to this. We don't have time, so I'll tell it to you outside. I'll tell it to you outside. But he says this in the form of, of, of a name. Su'u means to lift. When you count someone, you lift them. When they pass before you and you identify them as an individual, you lift their spirits. You lift them by counting them. This is the strength of using someone's name. Using a name is intimate, it's personal, it lifts someone. Try it, next time you're on public to check out, 
don't just be talking on your phone or texting and ignoring the person who's checking you out. Say, uh, Stacy, thank you so much. Have a, Carol, have a great day. Bob, have, thank you for begging my groceries. Read their name and use it, and you will see their face light up. Because they're invisible the whole day. They have no name. They're invisible. They're just the checkout, the bag person, the whatever. They have no name. You will transform their lives if you use their name. So Hashem lifts us when we know that He's counting us, that our lives count, that our lives matter, that we're here for a reason. He says in, in Ches, he quotes from Moshe Feinstein, that's why we always read Parshas Bamidbar right before Shavuos. This year, literally, hours before Shavuos. Why? Because when a person says, I don't count, I don't matter, why am I here, what's the difference, what's the purpose, why accept the Torah, why live a life of Torah? To know that you're among the counted, that your life counts, that it matters, that you can make a difference, the world is waiting for the difference that you and only you can make. At the embassy opening, I don't know if you all watched it, but Pastor Hagee, controversial person, but someone who's, his, his, Kufi, Christians United for Israel, I was talking to him at a reception. You know how many members it has? 4.1 million members. Right? So our, the Jews are busy writing headlines about how evil the Israeli army is in Gaza. Thank God for the Christians and the evangelicals. So before you worry about what their real goal is or what their motivation is, I could care less. Their friendship we need right now. If the, fire is, if the building is burning down and there's a fire... And someone offers to rescue you. Do you say, well, what's your motivation? Are you trying to pull me out so that you can convert me? Or do you say, gladly, I'll grab your hand and be rescued? So, you know, there were not... The embassy moving, you know, and, and so much else positive and good that goes on, that evangelical community deserves a lot of credit. Pastor Hagee has this Night of Israel in Houston where he lives. It's attended by thousands. He raises gazillions of dollars for Israel. And you may not know, but there's a committee of three who determine every penny where it goes. You know the committee of three is? The head of the Jewish Federation, the Orthodox rabbi in Houston, and the third Jew, I forgot who it is. His evangelicals don't determine. Some of that money goes to kolalim and yeshivas in Israel. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. I spoke to this, a, a very influential evangelical pastor who lives down here that we've worked closely with and that I'm friends with. So I actually was inspired after, after talking to Hagee that I want to rent out the, what's it called, the BBT arena? I want to once a year, we should fill it with 25,000 between evangelicals and Jews, South Florida, a night for Israel, of celebrating Israel. And I get to, and I get to decide where the money goes. So, the, the, uh, that's, not, that's, not really the, uh, that's not really the motivation. But, so, uh, why am I telling you all this? Uh, 4.1 million, it's unbelievable. Anyway, he gave the closing benediction at the embassy opening, and he was appropriate, referencing only the God that we all share. He was very appropriate, and he was also great, and I love the evangelicals around me yelling, hallelujah and amen, and <laughs> totally into it. We're missing that in our shuls, like the drusha having a little energy and back and forth to it. But anyway, I don't know if anyone was watching it. You may not have noticed it. But when he began with God of this, and the God, and God of our forefathers, and our Father, he said, God who gives each one of us a name. I don't know if you... In, in his list of how he recognized God, he said maybe God who gave every star a name, Monem Espar Kochavim. It's a Pasuk we say in Hallelujah after Ashrei every day. Monem Espar Kochavim. God, you count all the stars. Yeah, gives them a name. You give... He gives a name to everyone. Hegi understood. He referenced... Right. If I gave that benediction and I worked on it for a million hours, I never would have thought to talk about God who gives each star a name. But that's our parsha. That's our parsha, and that's our holiday, and that's our tradition. 
It's our religion. It's our truth. The only truth. That God who gives each star a name and who counts every star and who counts us and who makes our lives count and gives us that faith and that confidence. And this holiday of Shavuos is not just about, or maybe not at all about, milchiks and cheesecake and dairy, but the holiday, what it's all about is coming out the other side, knowing even more. Not believing, not having faith, but coming out the other side of this holiday, knowing with more conviction and with greater strength and more certainty, not only that there is a God, but that He's involved in my life, that He counts me, that He knows my name, and that he has given me the capacity to make my life count and to make a difference in the world as well. Have a great week and a great Shabbos and a great